This is World Cafe. I'm Rena Duris. Tegan and Sarah started making music when they were just 15 years old. That means they spent a lot of their formative growing up years as musicians, writing and working together. A few years ago, they explored those early days in a memoir they wrote together called High School, and last year they turned that memoir into a TV series of the same name. They also released their first album of all new music since 2016, an album called Crybaby that sees them dealing with big life changes and continuing to grow up together as sisters and as artists. My conversation with Tegan and Sarah is coming up, along with live performances of songs from Crybaby, beginning with Yellow. Tegan and Sarah, recorded live for World Cafe. i 
performed live for World Cafe. That was Yellow by Tegan and Sarah. It's from their latest album, Cry Baby. I'm Raina Duris, and Tegan and Sarah Quinn are my guests today on the show. Tegan and Sarah, it's been a while since you've been on World Cafe, but welcome back to the World Cafe. Oh my God, we're thrilled to be back. We love World Cafe, honored to be asked. So fun to play those songs and uh, pleasure to be here. Now, um, you have... Uh, obviously similar sounding voices, but to give listeners a fighting chance of knowing whose voice is whose, I'm going to try this anyway. Could you each introduce yourselves, say your name, Tegan, why don't we start with you? Absolutely. This is Tegan. Sarah and I also are very well trained. We try to use each other's names in our answers so that listeners will know who the heck is talking. I'm also cooler and Tegan's a little bit less cool. So it's just like, if you have a cool, if you have like your, your if you have your um, cool factor on, you know, you, right. you'll be able to tell us apart for sure. I will keep that in mind. Thank you. the song that we just heard uh yellow you guys are singing about your own relationship with each other which is something that i would imagine you spent a lot of time thinking about over the years not just uh in a band together you released a memoir in 2019 called high school turned that memoir into a tv show you've worked together as songwriters and musicians for a long time but how did writing a book and making a show change your relationship i'm not sure who'd like to start with this maybe sarah um, <laughs> um, sure, I'll start. Um, well, to go back to Yellow, you know, it's interesting because when Tegan and I write songs, we always write them separate from each other, you know? So the, you know, the perspective on most songs is generally about, you know, is just the sort of the, the, the songwriter's perspective. And, um, you know, some of the songs that we've written over the years, even a song like Yellow, it, while it was sort of a song, I guess, about reflecting on our sisterly relationship, it's also just a song sort of reflecting on the last 20 odd years of being in a band and, and just growing up and becoming an adult and, you know, that kind of like casting back into your past. And, um, you know, I think it's it's sometimes funny because Tegan doesn't get a really, I mean, I guess she gets a choice, but when I write a song about her, she doesn't really get a choice um, if she has to like listen to it every single night. <laughs> but But it's interesting because I think Yellow... And the, you know, the, the opportunity to sing about, um, about those topics really did sort of stem from, uh, digging into, uh, you know, our past and writing about our high school and adolescence and early years as young adults for the memoir. And then ultimately, you know, the, um, the TV show. So I think I was in that mind space or I was at least coming out of that mind space when I was writing Yellow. Tegan, what was your reaction when you first heard Yellow? Well, you know, Sarah and I don't really get into what songs are about. That's that's mm. pretty uncommon. Like, like if we send demos or whatever, yeah, we just like, like here, we listen never, to this. We would never like pitch a song by saying, and this is what it's about. And this is what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of room for interpretation. I mean, I always say I'm in the band, but I'm also a fan of the band because when Sarah sends me her music, I mean, she's sending me almost always pretty much done, you know, selections. And so... I really do get to just enjoy the music as, as a fan first. So I, you know, I do what everyone does when they listen to a new song. I interpret it the way I interpret it and often attach it to my own life. You know, I make Sarah songs mine the way that I would, I don't know, imagine dragons or Phoebe Bridgers, you know, like listening to them. I like, I I listen to their songs and then I don't really care what they wrote about. I want to attach it to my life, right? Like how will it connect to me? And so I think for Sarah and I, it's given us a lot of room within the band. So to, to not have to worry about it, like Sarah doesn't have to worry that she writes a song about us and our sibling relationship in 20 years of being in a band and that I'm going to edit her or I'm going to critique it. Like it, there's space for her just to be herself because I really don't care what she wrote it about. I'm just going to make it about what I want it to be about. I am a little curious about um, like sort of your shared 
memories because I mean, you're, you're when you were writing a memoir and you're making a show. Were there any moments while you were doing that where you realized that each of you had a totally different recollection of the same event? I mean, God, we we disagree about what happened like a week ago. I mean, it's so funny, <laughs> like memory. I mean, and I don't say that just as sisters. I think, you know, I don't know. I'm I've been partnered for twelve years with a with somebody who has like an elephant's memory. You know, she's just I can't believe the things that she can recall from like you know, 20 years ago to five minutes ago. So I'm used to sort of having somebody, um, a challenge, my, my, my recounting of things. And, and in some ways, I think that's sort of like the charm of being a storyteller is when somebody, um, when somebody asks you to, you know, are you sure it really happened that way? Absolutely. Okay. Let's hear some evidence. You know, like what do you, <laughs> what are the details that you remember? And in some ways, you know, Tegan and I have been doing that really, uh, what it, like, like we've been doing that really naturally on stage organically. Like we, when we tell stories or we banter as people call it on stage, you know, those things are generally spontaneous. We're not, we're not sitting down and sort of like preordaining like Tegan tonight, you will speak about that time you went to patroller camp when you were eight or whatever. These things sort of just they kind of come up stream of consciousness. So it was really interesting to sit down and write a book where there were parameters, you know, like write, write about yourself between the ages of 15 and 18. And let's try to, you know, follow a timeline and, um, and, you know, and don't second guess what I say by writing something entirely different in your chapters. You know, like there was like, there was a little bit less, I guess, flexibility um, than we normally have in our lives. All of that reflecting that you did for the memoir and the show uh, and thinking about your past and, and these things. Let's dig into the album a little bit. How did that experience really play into the writing for Crybaby? Deegan? I mean, I think the biggest shift was just, I think for Sarah and I, since 2018, we've taken our foot a little off the gas pedal when it comes to music, and we've um, created some new lanes. You know, obviously, like we're talking about the memoir, which we just made into a TV show, but we also wrote a graphic novel series for young kids. You know, I think for Sarah and I, music was everything and is everything. It is the engine, but I think we were singularly focused on it for 20 years. And I think at some point we were feeling like, are are we doing it because we want to do it? Or are we doing it because we're on this treadmill and we feel we have to do it? You know, they're contractual obligations. It's our identity. It's how we make money. You know, like there was a lot of pressure and COVID afforded us this opportunity to take a moment, get off the treadmill and rethink our career, our lives, our goals, our objectives. A lot happened in that time besides COVID. You know, we asked to leave Warner where we'd been 14 years. Sarah and her partner started the process of having a child, which he now exists in the world and is wonderful and cute. And I got a dog and like a lot of things happened. And I think Crybaby, our new album, is a product of that. You know, the last time we sat down to write a record of new songs was actually in 2015 and and it came out in 2016. It was called Love You to Death. So it has been a long time since we sat down to write an album. And I think it took some pretty massive changes in our life. We toured this fall a little bit and it's been, it was really cool to see people's reaction to the new songs. It was reinvigorating. I'm not saying we're putting the you know, the foot back on the music pedal and and making everything Tegan and Sarah about the band. I do think we really love writing and we do love the exploration we've done in other creative fields, but I think it reignited some passion in us around playing live and, and being in a band. We're going to hear you perform Faded Like a Feeling right now, then we'll come back and talk some more. This is Tegan and Sarah live for World Cafe. 
spark too easy Did me in with your grief We grew into something heavy From Tegan and Sarah, that was Faded Like a Feeling, recorded live for World Cafe. That song's on their latest album, Cry Baby. I'm Raina Duras. I'm talking to Tegan and Sarah today. Every band has a, a special relationship with their fans, but I feel like you have a, an especially meaningful one. And your fans often deeply relate or, or feel spoken to from your songs. Is there a story or, or a fan reaction that you've gotten about a particular song that, you know, really stuck with you? I feel like always the, the stories that come out for me uh, is when te- when people tell Tegan and I that hearing our music made them come out. <laughs> like, you know, like, and a lot of times it'll be like older people. Like we just, we get them like v- periodically these letters or these messages. And we just got one recently again. And it was a, it was an older woman who she was in her, I think in her forties um, uh, or fifties, she was close in age to us. Like, you know, like it wasn't like, wasn't like a super young person or super, super old person. It was somebody kind of in middle age. 
And um, she was a professional person who had um, found our music late in life, maybe even through her children. And she was a straight woman who um, had been, you know, married and had these kids and is very successful and whatever. And hear, hearing our music and really like that door opening into like, okay, I'm going to like learn more about these musicians. And it is making me feel all these complex things. And now I'm like deconstructing my life and looking at my, you know, my own identity. And then she was like, and I got a divorce and I'm gay. <laughs> and I, and like, wow. you know, and yeah. I mean, I always laugh because I'm like, you know, distilling it down to this is sort of silly, but you know, this idea that pe gay people can make other people gay, of course, is like this, like, you know, scary old wife, like, you know, like the, the, the people on the right will be like, don't let your, that gay person around my kid or they'll turn them gay or whatever. And like, of course, that's funny to me. Like, I'm like, I mean, if it were that easy, I'd be out like turning people all the time, but, um, <laughs> it just doesn't work like that, unfortunately. And believe me, I've tried, but, um, I love those kinds of stories. Like the stories that people tell us about somehow seeing us just be ourselves can somehow open, um, the door to them being some version of themselves that they've been afraid to be. And I think that's very powerful for me anyways. And there's so many stories like that's one that just popped in my head because it was literally from a month ago, but there's been many, many of those over the, over the 20 years that we've been doing this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say we recently did a tour, so we get a lot of letters backstage and we recently got a letter that kind of blew my mind. Um, the condensed version without getting too much of their personal details, but a fan had written that they were so inspired by our album, The Con. It had been such a monumental album for them. And so when we did the Con anniversary tour, like when it, when it turned 10 in 2017, they had to see a show and we weren't going through their town. Um, so they ended up flying to, you know, one of the major markets that we were playing in and went and kind of partied the whole weekend and hung out with their friends, like really had to like a really gated up and uh, had a great time and came to the show and maybe partied too hard. Uh, during the trip. And when they got back home, they ended up going to the hospital because they were really experiencing a lot of like, they thought potentially were just really hung over and maybe needed medical attention. Um, and through the process at one point it was like, yeah, you're just sick. Then it was, oh, maybe you have appendicitis and we have to remove your appendicitis. And then there were, there was a friend of theirs that worked at the hospital that came in and looked at their chart and said, I think that you should get a second opinion. And they ended up going, they ended up not getting the appendix, like getting the appendix out and going to see a specialist, getting a bunch of scans. And it turned out that they had a tumor, like they had cancer. Um, and so the illness that they were feeling was partly due to the drinking and how it had affected their liver, but they actually had liver cancer. Oh my God. They're doing great. They're, you know, fully in remission and cleared of, of cancer. But the letter ended with like, you saved my life. Like if I hadn't gone and seen your show and partied, like if I hadn't been so in love with you, if you hadn't had such a monumental effect on my life in my early years, I wouldn't have been driven to go and like fly to this other city. And, you know, the specialist that ended up removing the tumor and doing the cancer treatment said like, this is something that probably wouldn't have showed up for a year or two. And it would have been probably too late. And there was just this hard part. Anyway, the story kind of blew my mind. I just thought like of the randomness of that. but. um you know, the lengths people have gone to support us and, and to find meaning in our music and the amount of meaning and, and incredible stories and connection and community that has come out of Tegan and Sarah, like the fan community is just, you know, profoundly moved me over the years, the things they've done, the places they've been, you know, we could probably write a book just about all the interesting stories we've been told. They're just, 
you know, the, the, the real passion for Tegan and Sarah is, is to me about the community that the fans have found amongst each other through their meaning, you know, and connection to the music. And I just find that really beautiful. I do want to uh, look back at the business of art just for a second, because you, you were, I guess you, you were about 20 when that came out. It was the first album that you put out on Neil Young's Vapor Records, which is, you know, at the time, I'm sure you felt like that was a very, it was a big deal. What do you remember from getting signed to that label? Sarah? I mean, uh, there, it's hard. It's sort of hard to be. Uh, it's sort of hard to be succinct and articulate about this because it is. It is just such. It, you know, it really was such a um, unexpected outcome to a year. The, the previous year, which we'd still been, in, we were in high school, and we were. You know, we'd had this like, we'd had this big experience of winning a Garage Wars competition and sort of having like almost like overnight fame in the city. You know, and what what that looked like really was just that our faces were sort of plastered all over the local music magazines. And we did some radio and we did the more, we did like the breakfast morning show on like the local TV station, like 45 times. And we had like a, like a, my mom's, one of my mom's social worker friends, husbands played conga drums, you know, and he would like come on TV with us. <laughs> it was like this very random time of like hanging out with adults, actually. Like we were suddenly like thrust from like teenage world into like, okay, you're going to do, you're going to go with Aaron and play on, breakfast morning TV. And then you're going to go record a demo with like a guy with a pot belly and a, you know, like a beard. And like, we just, we just were sort of like, like really trying to sort of like orient ourselves and figure it out. And, um, through, you know, some sort of serendipity, we ended up connecting with Elliot Roberts, who was Neil Young's uh, manager and longtime manager and really a legend in the music industry had, you know, had been involved with David Geffen and had, um, you know, had, 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 been part of discovering and really um, like heralding um, the beginning careers for Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan and um, Neil Young and, and many others. And um, and to us, that was, it was strange because we had nev never been really interested in that music or that world. It was a little, that was a little like older than, than my parents' generation of music. And, but, but we understood like that this was a kind of, as, as the kids would say now, this was sort of like a cosign, you know, like of a certain generation. It was like, oh, these, these are kids and they're from Canada and nobody's heard of them before, but like Neil Young is interested in them. And so I remember understanding that. And I remember understanding that there was a, um, uh, you know, there was, it wasn't about like money and which is what, of course, everybody thought when we got signed to a record deal, everyone was like, you must be so rich now. Do you guys like ride around in limos? And we were like, Tegan and I both had like part-time jobs for minimum wage. And we were like living in my mom's basement and we were like, um, no, but we, but we understood um, how important it was and, and what an important opportunity it was. And so when we made this business of art, we actually went out on tour for a summer opening for Neil Young. And actually the pretenders were also uh, performing on that tour. And we really treated it like college. You know, we were, we were like, we are out here to learn. We're not out here to like break our career and become like huge pop stars. We were playing acoustic guitar, when they opened the doors to the amphitheater and people were like carrying in their beer and their pizza and like telling us to take our shirts off. And we were just, we were just learning. We we're just trying to like figure out how do you, how do you entertain a bunch of people who don't know who you are? How do you get from one city to the next? How do you survive two months on the road with your sister? You know, like, so my memory of that time is really like, you know, it was just um, probably the same kind of disorientation and overwhelming, um, uh, you know, feeling that most kids have when they go to college. You know, there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of, I want to quit and I want to go home. 
And there was also a lot of um, just like just unbelievably um, incredible experiences. Did you pick up any tips from uh, Chrissy Hind? Yeah. Or how to deal with people telling you to like take your shirts off and stuff like that? We have like a pretty, Tegan can tell the story, but it's like, it's, we have like a pretty classic moment that from Chrissy that we've like held for all these years and we've passed it on to people too. Yeah. She was, I mean, she was really always very nice. I mean, it's, it's important to note we were 20, you know, so it was, you know, we'd been out of high school for two, that was our, you know, second summer out of high school. And so we were like kids, you know, so everybody was really nice to us, but these people were like decades older than us. So, um, so anytime they spoke to us, it was a profoundly important moment and we made note of it because it wasn't like we were hanging out every day or anything. But one evening we were at catering, we'd been doing press all day and Sarah and I were griping and complaining. I don't know who we were talking to, but Chrissy was sitting pretty close by and she started listening and she, kind of, you know, she chuckled at our stories. But when we finished our complaints about how bad this interview had gone or whatever, um, she told this really wonderful story, which she, I, I, I don't recall all the details now, but maybe her and Steve Buscemi uh, were involved in some sort of press junket together. So maybe, maybe the pretenders were in a movie that he was in. I have no idea. All I know is, is that she was like, one time I was doing this press junket with Steve Buscemi and he was getting all these horrible questions and he gave such amazing answers. And afterwards she'd gone up to him and said, how did you do that? Because I don't have the self-control. I would have been like, you or whatever. And he said, they don't print the stupid questions. They print the stupid answers. And, mm. you know, Sarah and I had grown up around adults. So like we weren't, we understood the meaning of that. She was basically, she hadn't said that that was her advice to us. She was passing it on via you know, Steve Buscemi and admitted that she herself wouldn't have had the self-control. Um, but it was an, it was an incredible, um, an incredible piece of wisdom and, and piece of advice that we've definitely carried forward, you know, and um, tried to apply to all areas of our career, you know, ultimately it's our band. And so it doesn't matter it, whether it's, who, if it's people we hire, if it's bands opening for us, if it's the, it's a business deal, it's an interview, everything that touches Tegan and Sarah, people remember Tegan and Sarah. And so we have to be respectful. We have to be kind. We have to be on time. We have to give great answers because that's what people will remember. You are giving great answers so far. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking to Tegan and Sarah today on World Cafe. And we're going to hear another live song. Here's I Can't Grow Up. It's Tegan and Sarah on World Cafe.
Keegan and Sarah performing I Can't Grow Up live for World Cafe. It's from their most recent album, Cry Baby. I'm Raina Duras, joined by Tegan and Sarah today. And I'm going to ask each of you this question. Um, Tegan, we can start with you. What does growing up mean to you? Well, I mean, I always talk about when my our mom's mom, our grandma, was just a few years before she died, I asked her if she wished she could be younger, like if she wished she wasn't old, if she wished she could have been born into a different generation, if she wished she'd been able to go to university, all these things. And she said, no, I liked my life the way it was. You know, I learned so much. I had so many experiences, like I wouldn't change anything. And and my grandma also said during that conversation that when she looks in the mirror, she's horrified because she's like, oh my God, inside I'm 18. I always, she's like, I, it's so confusing growing up because you, you kind of do hit a certain age and that's your age. Like that's your you. I don't know if I'm articulating this well, but yes, I understood. No, totally. You know? I talk, I, I've said the exact same thing before. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it's like some head, people, yeah. it's just, it's, it's like some people probably do get to be like 40 and they're like, okay, finally I'm mature and I grew up. But like, for me, I felt like I was me like when I was like 20 or something. Yeah. And so now I'm 20 forever or something, but I'm not 20, but I'm, I've been me now for like for like over half my life. I don't know. It's confusing, but uh, yeah, I just, I think it's just this constant evolution of, of taking in the world and learning about yourself and yeah. And Sarah, what does growing up mean to you? Well, when I wrote the song, I can't grow up, I definitely would have given you a different answer. And now that I'm seven months into being a mom, I can tell you that it, it, I'm almost afraid to talk because I feel like I could cry. Like, Growing up to me now means watching someone else grow up and think about how much I won't get to experience about his life. And if I'm lucky, you know, I'll see a lot of it, but I, it is just dramatic how different I feel now because it's not even about thinking about myself. Like, am I grown up? Like I'm, I am a grown, I'm, I'm grown up. Like I feel grown up a lot, but I, now I look at him and I think, oh my God, he has so much life ahead of him. Like, and in some ways I feel a gr- kind of grief about that. Like, oh, what will I miss? Or I wish I was young again, or it makes me think about my mom. And, you know, like, I don't know. Like, so growing up now feels really loaded in a different way than it used to. Yeah. Sorry, I'm like- No, it's okay. Having a full meltdown. <laughs> it's okay. Your, your son is about, what, seven-ish He's months? Seven, seven months, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. What is the thing that has delighted you the most recently about watching your son grow up what has happened I mean he's so like he you know I mean, you so, sent a video yesterday of him just being pushed in a swing it's like the delight yeah. on his face it's like incredible how I mean, easy it is, is to be entertained this is the by thing him. that is also very interesting is that I you know I think you know, actually this is one of the p- pieces of writing our memoir that I found remarkable was remembering what it felt like to do something for the first time like real, you know, like as an adult, when you get like older, like we do lots of things for the first time again, but your first time doing something in your younger life stays with you, like playing music, like being able to just open my mouth, sing. When we started writing the memoir, I remember having that almost like visceral memory of what it felt like to do that for the first time. And to be present, to watch someone do things for the first time and experience joy almost like reflexive joy. Like just, he can't contain himself. Like we put him in this jolly jumper in the morning and he just, he goes completely wild in this thing. And if you just like, 
if if he just gets the giggles, he'll just turn into like it just becomes hysterics. And I just look at him and I think like, my God, I'm never going to feel like that again. Like I will never just hysterically be joyful unless I'm intoxicated. And so, you know, like I think that is for at least for me, like the constant stream of just like getting to be present while this little character just grows up and and gets to experience being in a swing or, you know, loves to be tickled or loves when I sing songs when I just only sing the word meow, you know, like, I don't know, like he's just, he's so easy, so easy to please. And he's so easy to take care of. And, um, and it's just, yeah, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's also very boring. And I want to say that because I think that people, um, you know, I think that there's a lot said about parenting, you know, that is more like what I just did, like cry and like be emotional. And you're like, I love them so much, whatever. It's also maddeningly boring. So I just, <laughs> just put that out there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm speaking with Tegan and Sarah on World Cafe today. Um, sometimes it can feel like there's a double standard where men aren't expected to grow up, but women are expected to grow up. Oh, yeah. Cry, cry Baby is your 10th album. You've been making music for, for more than two decades. How have you felt expectations of you have changed over the years? It's a great question. I mean, recently I articul I articulated as as that I feel very lucky that Sarah and I we are we're small. We're like five foot two, and we exude a lot of youthful energy, and we still look young. And I think sometimes we still pass as young, <laughs> even though like, and and we are. I'm not in any way trying to push up against this idea that we're not, but like you know, this, the music industry is organized in a way that like you pretty much, if you're over 25 and you're a woman, you're not going to get radio play. You're not going to get covers. You're not, you know, it's like, it just changes. And we've been really lucky because we've made some pretty big changes over the course of our career, you know, going from indie rock to pop and then writing a book and getting a TV show. Like we've managed to sort of reinvent ourselves, but that reinvention is something women have to do and men don't. Men can make the same record over and over again and everyone's just like, that's that band. I think the place that both Sarah and I are at, it, for different reasons, but there's lots of crossover, is that we are at the middle point of our life. If we're lucky, we're at the halfway point, you know? Um, and I want to be sure that my legacy for this next half of my life isn't just about work. And so I think when it comes to growing up, there was always this pressure, like, and you're going to hit a certain age and you're going to have a baby and you're going to get married. And you're going to come off the road. And we would be like, no, <laughs> like that's so stereotypical. That's so sexist to think as women that that's what we have to do. And I think we certainly are doing it later than a lot of women do it. But I think we have hit that point where it's like, I want to give back. My legacy is about what impact I have on the world and on the earth and my friends and family, what kind of friend I am, what kind of partner I am, what kind of family member I am. Um, and, you know, emotional impact of Sarah having a kid, it's affecting all of us. And I just think us growing up, yeah, it is kind of different because we're women and the thing, the, the benchmarks are different for us, but um, I'm leaning into it instead of just feeling rage at the sexism about it all. Sarah, how do you think about the legacy of Tegan and Sarah? I'm really proud of, I mean, if we just retired tomorrow and we didn't utter another word into um, this digital landscape, I think it would be fine. Like, I feel really proud of what we did. And I think there's plenty there um, that I feel good about that I, I could probably just walk away and, and be done with it. Um, I think that, I think that there's the, the thing that I've started to grapple with is 
my, the, what, what gets me working in creative all the time. Like I love to make things, but I do, I do think that, th- that we're sort of grinding, you know, it's just, it's what we all do. It's like, there's, there's a sense that if we are not working or we are not, you know, earning, or we are not competing that we've, that we've given up or that we, that we are, um, that we've, uh, given in, you know, and, and, um, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to figure that out. We're going to hear one more live song from the new album. And people might think that the longer that you do something or the more successful that you get, the more confident you'll be. And it works in some kind of linear fashion forever. <laughs> but I know that's not necessarily true. And, and Tegan, we're going to close out with the song Smoking Weed Alone. It's a song that I understand was kind of born out of a not so confident feelings. What can you tell us about writing this song? Yeah, I mean, this song, like many of the contributions I made to our new album, Cry Baby, was a collaboration with Sarah. Um, I wrote everything for this record on acoustic guitar and would send it over to Sarah. And then, you know, she would sort of create a um, a landscape, you know, production-wise with new instrumentation and often would be like, what about if we speed it up or change the key? And um, for me, I think like life is about choices and and we all know this. And I think I've spent a lot of time feeling bad or being hard on myself about choices that I've made. And I think smoking weed alone is sort of me grappling with that and being okay and embracing that, like, you know, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to, um, make choices and they're not always going to work out, but they're yours. And there's something really empowering about that. And I think that I spent a lot of time worrying about things that I've done and things that I said, instead of worrying about things I want to do and things that I want to say. It is smoking weed alone. Tegan and Sarah on World Cafe.
Performing a song from their latest album, Cry Baby, live for World Cafe. That was Tegan and Sarah with Smoking Weed Alone. Tegan and Sarah Quinn have been my guests today. Thank you so, so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me today. That was a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. I'm Raina Duras, back in a moment with more World Cafe.